0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just a moment, we're going to begin reading the words of the greatest Christian man who ever lived. His name was Paul the Apostle. He's writing this letter and these words to a church called Corinth. But he's also writing these words to a church called Miles Road Baptist. You see, the Bible's not just a word to those of the past, it's a word to those of the present. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first five verses, Paul is going to talk about some things that I hope will get you a little excited this morning. If you be in Christ, say that. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. That's very important you remember those two words because I'm going to come back to them at the very end. In Christ. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul shares some things that are difficult to read and difficult to understand. If you have a King James Bible, you're going to wonder if this is not Greek. But I promise you, if you listen carefully and closely, I will break it down and explain it to you. And when we leave here today, you're going to say, wow, that was so simple. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 1. For we know, I like that, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, We have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, verse 3, be that being naked, we shall not be found naked. For we are in this tabernacle, we groan. We are burdened. Not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon. That our mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who has given to us the earnest of the Spirit. Now if you're saying, Pastor, I don't understand a word you said. That's okay. We'll get around to it in just a little while. Everybody has fears. Everybody has phobias. And the greatest fear, the greatest phobia for most people is the fear of death. The fear of death. Most people are afraid to die. And most people are afraid of what happens after we die. This fear of death, is universal. I've had the opportunity to travel the world many, many times. And every place I've been in this big old world that we live in, that's not quite as big as we think, people are afraid of death. People are afraid of death in India. People are afraid of death in Haiti. People are afraid of death in the Dominican Republic. People are afraid of death in France and England and Australia. There's a universal fear of death. And a high percentage of people would say that that fear of death haunts them if they ever stop and think about it for too long. So why is the fear of death so universal? Why is it so prevalent? Maybe because we're all going to die. Do you realize 100 years from now? 100 years from now. Not one single one of us that are seated here looking at me and I standing here looking at you will be here. Should you happen to be here, you won't know you're here. (laughs) We all are going to die. No exemptions, no exceptions. No exclusions, no escapees. You are going to die. Should Jesus tarry in His return, you are going to die, I am going to die. We all have a date with the undertaker. Harry Houdini was considered the greatest escape artist who has ever lived. He's the gold standard of escape artists. He could escape anything. There was nothing that Harry Houdini could not escape except one thing. He could not escape death. We're going to die. Nobody gets out of life alive. The statistics have not changed since the beginning of time. One out of one will die. According to the records... 60 million people die every year. Every year across our world, 60 million people will leave this world by death. That's 5 million people who will die every month. 1.2 million people who will die every week. 171,000 people who will die every day. 7,125 people who will die every hour. 119 people who will die every minute, and two people who will die every second. Every time I snap my fingers, two people are dying in this world somewhere. Before this service is over, 10,000 people will die. Pretty profound when you think about it. You know, man is a clever creature. We can put a man on the moon. We can harness atomic energy for good or for bad. We can go faster than sound. We can put a hot sign on Krispy Kreme donuts. We're pretty smart. But man cannot find a cure in all of his smartness for death. So does that mean that in the final analysis, death wins? No! Death does not win. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death has been taken away. And the victory of the grave has been taken away as well. And that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. He's talking to dying people and he says, listen, I got a word for you. Death is not so bad because there is life after death. And he's going to talk about the body that we're going to have. And the life that we're going to live after this. one. You do know you're going to live again. You know that. Death isn't the end of it all. Every single one of us, when we die physically, when we die here on earth, are going to find ourselves alive in eternity. That's why it's important to remember those two little words I told you to remember. Can you tell me again? In Christ. In Christ. But let's talk a little bit about this body that we're going to give and the life to come. Paul's, in verse 1, says that this new body, this resurrection body that we're going to receive when we leave this world and go to the next, it's a certainty we're going to get it. Now, notice you're in your Bibles, you'll follow, he says, For we know. For we know. That's interesting. He didn't say, I, I think, I believe, I've been told, I guess, I hope. He says, for I know, this is a fact, it's a surety, it's a certainty. He says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were to dissolve, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands that's eternal in heaven. Now science can tell us a lot of things. We thank God for scientists, and we thank God for science, but, and science can tell us that we're going to die. <laughs> scientists are pretty smart, aren't they? They're, they can tell us we're going to die. But you know, that's all they can tell us. That's all they can tell us. Now, they can, they can opinionate, they can speculate, they can imaginate, they can, they can try to run experience... They can do observations, they can do equations, they can do formulas, they can even do explorations. But when it comes to death, all scientists know is we're going to die. That's all they know. That's why Paul didn't go to scientists for what he's about to say. Paul went to God. God is not about opinionation or speculation or imagination. God is about revelation. And the God of heaven spoke to the Apostle Paul. And he said, Paul, I'm going to share with you some things that I want you to write down and later share with others. I want to share with you that there is life after death. And in that life after death, you're going to have a new body. And you're going to live in a new place. Paul You can know this for a fact, he says. This is not fable. This is not fiction. This is a fact. And then he mentions in verse 1 our earthly house. Now what in the world is he talking about? The earthly house is our current body that we're living in on earth. When you and I came into this world, we were born. We were born with a body. And this body is our tent, if you will. Now, if you think about a tent, a tent is just a temporary place you live in until you get a house. Does that make sense to you? When you get married, you don't take your wife by the arm and say, Honey, let me show you where we're going to live the next 50 years. We're going to live in a tent. If you do, you will not be married very long. (laughs) Tents are just a temporary thing you stay in until you go back to a house. They're temporary. That's what they're made to be. My wife, she likes to sleep in a tent. She's an outdoor girl, a frontier girl. She likes to sleep in nature. She likes to sleep on the ground. She likes to sleep out out in the fresh air, in the tent, you might say. I, too, like to camp out. I camp out at the Marriott. (laughs) But a tent is just a temporary place to stay. If you've ever had a tent, you know that in time, even if you buy a brand new tent, in time that tent is going to begin to sag. It's going to begin to droop. It's going to it's going to begin to wrinkle and crease and tear and rip and deteriorate and fade. It's going to begin to leak and wear out. When you buy a tent, there's no guarantee it's forever. This is a smart crowd. (laughs) Likewise, this body that you and I have is nothing but a tent. It's a temporary place that we're living in. Because this is a temporary world we're living in. This world's not our home. Our home is in heaven. And when you go to heaven, you got to get a new body. Because these bodies are wearing out. Pastor, I don't believe you. Then look in the mirror. Father Time and Mother Nature do wonderful things to this thing we call a tent. If you live long enough, just like a tent, you're going to begin to sag and droop a little bit. You're going to begin to expand and stretch around the waist or the hips. You're going to wrinkle and have creases on some places. You're going to bruise and tear easy. You're going to deteriorate and decline. You say, but pastor, I take care of myself. I diet with Jenny Craig. I exercise with Billy Banks. I get treated by Dr. Oz and Lady Clairol takes care of my hair. I'm glad they do. But all they're doing is slowing the inevitable. These tents, these bodies that we call a tent, these bodies that were given to us to live in this world are temporary, and one day they'll be no more. Even as we're living, we are dying. The moment we're born, we begin to die. Paul also mentions the fact, notice in verse 1, he says this this." Earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolving. You know what he's talking about? It's dying. And now, but he, but then he comes to this word. He says, "Listen, though, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens." Now, now he shifts gears. He says, "Listen, you're you're living in a tent right now, but one day you're going to live in a fortress." That word house means something that's indestructible. That's something that is is immovable. Something that will never age, that will never wear out, that is built to last forever. And he's speaking of our new body. One day, we will trade in the tent for a fortress. One day we'll trade in a body that was made for this world to receive a body for that world. One day we will leave the here and now and we will be in the here and after. We will have bodies that will never wear out. That will not be subject to sickness or sorrow or sadness or aging. This resurrection body that we will have will come from God Himself. It will not come from a human mother. God will give it to us. It will not be made with His hands. It will be made with the spoken word. Do you know God doesn't have to put His hands on nothing? All He has to do is speak the word. And He'll speak the word. And we will have a body that is eternal and a body that's heavenly. So if you think death is the end, you're wrong. If you think death is the beginning of reincarnation, you're wrong. If you think death is nothing but an evaporation or annihilation, you are wrong. Death is a trade in. You trade in the tent, and you get a fortress. But then he goes on, verses two through four. Watch in your Bible. He's now going to tell us a little bit about the nature of this resurrection body. You might be wondering, well, I wonder what it's going to be like. Well, Paul knows you were thinking that, so now he's going to give you some more information. Now remember, where did he get this information from? God gave it to him. God gave it to him. In verses 2 through 4, he tells us two characteristics of this marvelous resurrection body that we're going to get. First of all, he says it's a certainty. You can count it. And then he says, let me tell you some things about it. It's a marvelous thing you're going to be getting. Look at verses 2 through 4. For in this we groan. What is this that we groan in? This tent that we live in. Don't you groan a little bit every now and then? If you're not groaning now, one day you will groan. Oh, I dropped something. Oh, good. Oh, Remind you of you, some of you wouldn't have got up. <laughs> Notice it says, for in this we groan earnestly, this tent we live in, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is in heaven. This old body hurts. It's falling apart. It's falling away. Wouldn't it be wonderful when we could get that body? That's what he's saying. Verse 3, if so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. When we we get our new body, our spirit's no longer going to be naked. It's going to have a new body to encase it. Verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle now grown, that's a good place for an amen, being burdened, not for that we would not be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now notice he's going to tell us two things about this new body, this resurrected body that one day we're going to have in that new place called heaven if you be in Christ. Say that again, in Christ. First of all, in verse 2, he tells us it's going to be like an overcoat when we get it. You Notice that phrase, to be clothed upon, in verse 2. To be clothed upon, verse 2. You know what that means? It means to put on an overcoat. Paul says one day our eternal spirits are going to put an overcoat on and that overcoat will be the new body that God has for us. Now I don't know if you go out and buy many overcoats or coats, period. But when you go into a store to buy a coat, one of the first things they'll ask you is what is your size? You just don't go in there and say I'd like the coat. What kind of coat you want, it don't matter to me, just give me one. What color you want, it don't matter. What size, it don't matter. They'd think you're a nut. So don't you do that. I don't want them to think you're a nut. But when you go to get a coat, you tell them the size that you wear. And what Paul is saying is, is this resurrected body that we're going to get is going to be sized to fit us perfectly. It's not going to have any sags or bags. It's not going to have any issues. It's going to be customized, personalized, just for you and I. God doesn't sell generic clothes. His wardrobe for His saints is perfectly matched for us. It's like putting an overcoat, Paul says. So so don't you worry about how your new body is going to be. It's going to be fine personalized, customized, just for you and me. And then he says in verses 2 through 4, he says, and by the way, this new body that you're going to get that's going to fit you like a custom coat, an overcoat, you're just going to put it on. It'll cover your eternal spirit. This body will never have any aches or pains or groans anymore. It's not going to be subject to anything that would make you hurt. No sadness, no sickness, no sorrow, none of that. These earthly bodies that we have are constantly groaning. If they're not groaning outwardly, they're groaning inwardly. If they're not groaning verbally, they're they're groaning non-verbally. Our bodies are constantly groaning because we live in a world that's falling apart. A world that's falling away before our very eyes. And we're also living in bodies that are falling apart and falling away likewise. Everything about this world is dying. This is the land of the dying. It's not the land of the living. And we groan because of that. We get abused in these bodies. We get disease in these bodies. We, get, we have to go through separation and divorce in these bodies. We're subject to crime in these bodies. These bodies are subject to natural catastrophes like hurricanes. There's violence that's perpetrated against these bodies. These bodies receive hatred. These bodies are part of terrorism and war in our world. These bodies are constantly groaning because of the burdens of this world that are placed upon them. But one day, we'll be in a place where there is no groaning. And we'll be in a body that will never groan again. Think about that. A pain-free body in a pain-free zone. Think about that. A brand new body that will never age. That will never be subject to illness or sickness or disease. That will never be hungry. That will never be thirsty. That will never need sleep. A body that will never have to experience anything that would cause us to be miserable. A new body and a new place. You know, heaven's got a lot of stuff in it, but you'll never find a hospital in heaven. Nobody's sick. There's no nursing homes in heaven. Nobody ever grows old. There's no funeral home or cemeteries in heaven because nobody ever dies. There's no shelters or safe houses in heaven because nobody's ever abused. There's no courts or prisons in heaven because nobody's bad. Nobody breaks the laws in heaven. There's no orphanages in heaven because there's no orphans. There's no addiction treatment centers in heaven because nobody's hooked on anything but Jesus. There's no battlefields or war zones in heaven like there is on earth. There's no ghettos or disaster relief centers because there's no poverty in heaven and there's no storms in heaven. It's a perfect place. For perfect bodies. Now we got to close. Paul says, I want you to know this is true. This is certain. This tent's dying, but one day you're going to get a fortress. You're leaving this behind and you're getting something up there. And he says, that body you get is going to fit you like a coat. And it'll never groan again. Never groan again. And then he closes out in verse 5 and he says, all of this is guaranteed, by the way. I know we live in a world where guarantees aren't worth the paper they're written on. But when God gives a guarantee, you can take it to the bank. Notice in verse 5, as we close, he says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who has also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We're getting a new body. Not a repackaged body, not a remodeled body, not a uh, redesigned body. We're getting a new body, okay? You got that, new body. And this body is going to be very similar to this body. We're not going to have our look changed. We'll still look the same. We'll just have a new body. You'll still be able to recognize me. You'll say, man, you look younger and more handsome than you ever did. I'll say, thank you. And by the way, you're not doing bad yourself. But we'll still recognize one another. We just got a new body. We'll be a perfect person in a perfect body. Just like when Jesus came back from the dead. They knew it was Jesus, but he just looked a little bit different. He had a different body. And so will we. And God says, I guarantee that. First of all, he says, I guarantee it because I I raised my own son from the grave. I raised my only beloved begotten son, Christ Jesus, from the grave. I raised him from the grave and gave him a new life. And if he who is the son of God was raised from the grave and got a new life, how much more will you who are sons and daughters of mine as well be raised from the grave to a new body? What I did for my son, I'll do for my sons and daughters. What I did for my beloved son, I'll do for my adopted children, you and I. He says, I guarantee it. And then he says, I not only guarantee it because of what I did for my son, I guarantee it because I give you the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 5, he says, I gave to you the earnest of the Spirit. You know what that word earnest means? It means a deposit. If you buy a house, one of the things that you often have to put up before you actually purchase the house to show that you're sincere and you're true and your intentions is called a what? A deposit. You have to pay a deposit. That tells the the seller of the house you're sincere, you're truthful, you want the house. Well, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a deposit on my guarantee." I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He's my deposit. I'm going to put Him in your life. The moment you get saved, I'm going to put Him in your life. And He's going to be with you until the day that you leave this world and go to my world. He's going to be with you in this tent as He prepares you for the fortress. Wow. That's a guarantee. The Son guarantees it. The Spirit guarantees it. And the Father amens it. Now we're through. Now remember those two words we started with? Help me again. I, I, I'm a little older and forget easy. Thank you. In Christ, say over here, just y'all, just here, just here, all together in Christ. Say, Pastor, why, why are you making us say that? you just trying to buy time to 12 o'clock? No, by the way, if I end a service before 12, I still get the same salary. And if we go overtime, I don't get overtime either. So don't you worry about it, I don't. <laughs> In Christ... Now, let's let's kind of wrap all this stuff up and you'll see that I'm not a senile old man just making you say that. We're all going to die. All of us. You're a Christian who loves Jesus. You're going to die. You're a non-Christian here who could care less about Jesus. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Whether you be in Christ or out of Christ, you're going to die one day. When we die, Number two, when we die, our bodies are going where? To the ground. They might go wholly to the ground. They might go in ashes to the ground. But they're going to the ground. Our bodies that were not made forever, our bodies that are earthly, our bodies that are nothing but temporary tents, one day they are going to go to the ground. Either in a casket, in an urn, they're going to the ground. All of us are going to face that should Jesus tear it? You say, but I love the Lord. I'm glad you do. You're still going to the ground. We're all going to spend some box time. Now, our bodies go to the ground. But thirdly, our spirits. The spirit is the real us. Our spirits immediately at death, those in Christ go to heaven. Those out of Christ do not go to heaven. You figure that where that is. Okay, so that's why it's important you be in Christ, because if you're in Christ, your spirit, the moment your body dies, will go to heaven. If you're not in Christ, it won't go to heaven. It's that simple. Our bodies will stay in the ground Christian, non Christian, until Resurrection Day. The resurrection of the dead. And the rapture of the living in Christ is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. you know God has a calendar? And He has all the days written out on that calendar. And the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the coming of Jesus for His people. One day the Father is going to say to the Son, Go get my people. And the Son is going to leave heaven and He's going to stop in the clouds right above this world. There's going to be a voice. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be the blasting of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will be resurrected from their graves. Their bodies will come up out of that grave. And that body will be changed as it goes up. And to the new body we just talked about. And their spirit that's with Jesus will receive that new body that will fit like a coat. And no more groaning ever again. And we who are alive when that takes place because there will be living people are just going to disappear. boop, Just like that. Up, up and away we'll go and our bodies will be changed without having to die. We will receive our resurrection body as we go up. Now remember, that's for those in Christ. And then that new body will then encompass that new spirit and we'll live in that new place called heaven with Jesus and all of our family and friends forever endeavor 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 now the key to all of that is those two words help me out again in Christ if you're not in Christ you have nothing to look forward to except dying go into the grave your spirit will go to hell And there will be a resurrection for you later. But it will not be pretty nor glorious. You have to be in Christ. And I stress that because religion has done a wonderful job of confusing people. If you hang around long enough, religion will confuse you. Because religion says all this different stuff that religion teaches. By the way, the Bible doesn't teach religion. It teaches relationship. How we can have a relationship with the true and the living God. But the Bible doesn't say all of this that I just told you about is for those who are in church. You can be in church and not be part of this. You can be in religion and not be part of this. You can be a good person and be in goodness and not be part of this. You can be ethical and moral and not be part of this. Those who will have the promise that Paul just made, those who have the guarantee that Paul just made, those who are, who are, can count on getting a new body and that new body will live in that new place called heaven. Those are those are the ones that are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter. You will not get any of that. But judgment. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. Who cares? I'm a Methodist. Who cares? I'm a Protestant. I'm a Catholic. Who cares? I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hebrew. Who cares? If you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter. In Christ. So the question is, as I close, how do you get in Christ? How do you and I get in Christ? That we can prepare to die with confidence, knowing that death is nothing but a relocation and a trade in. A relocation from this world to that world and a trade in of this tent for a house up there called a fortress. A trade from the groanings of here to the hallelujahs up there. How can you and I be in Christ? It's this simple. Listen to me. Recognize that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Not the person next to you. Don't be pointing at them. You're a sinner. All have sin and come short of the glory of God. Take your finger and point at the sinner. Do that. Point at you. You're the sinner. You say, but I'm a nice sinner. I'm glad you are. You're still a sinner. How many sins does it take to be a sinner, Pastor? Just one. One sin makes you a sinner. How many things you got to steal to be a thief? Just one. We're sinners. You got to accept that and acknowledge that. Secondly, He's the Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior. There's only one name given in heaven, on earth, or anywhere else by which a man can be saved the name of Jesus. Not the name of anybody else, the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. He's the Savior by my own free will, by my own choice, I give Him my sins. And He gives me His salvation. A trade takes place. Lord, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Lord, I give You my sins, which I'm sorry for committing, and I ask for Your salvation. You say, Pastor, that's too simple. It's simple because God wants everyone to be saved. Religion always adds things to it so people get confused. To be saved, I'm a sinner. He's a Savior. I bring my sins to Him and I receive the salvation. Whosoever calls upon His name in that way shall be saved, the Bible says. That's it. When you do that, you move from being out of Christ to in Christ and all the wonderful things I just shared with you come to be your promise and reality. So are you in Christ this morning? Can you remember a time in your life? Can you remember a time in your life when you said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. You're the Savior. Save me from my sin. Come into my life. Can you remember doing that? If you can't remember doing it, then you didn't do it. It has to be your choice. Mom and dad can't do it for you. A preacher can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. Your aunt or uncle can't do it for you. You have to do it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come and save me. If you do that, He will save you. He will change you. He will prepare you for death. He'll prepare you for heaven. He'll have a new body for you. When you do that, it's important that you make it public. Walking an aisle doesn't save you, but walking in an aisle is a testimony that what you did you, was real and you gave your life to Jesus. You go tell somebody. Then you follow in believer's baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, by the way, either. I could, we could baptize you 10,000 times in that baptistry and you could still die and not go to heaven. It's not water that washes away your sin. It's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So are you in Christ? I leave you with that question. If you are in Christ, maybe you need to tell somebody when you leave here, I'm in Christ. If you're not in Christ, why don't you just bow your head right now? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, all of us. And why don't you just say, Lord, I'm that sinner the pastor talked about.